So if you're teaching someone how to live as a Christian, one of the topics you would have to cover is prayer. If you're teaching somebody how to live as a citizen of the kingdom, you would have to teach them how to talk to their father. And that is exactly what Jesus covered next in the Sermon on the Mount. Sunday mornings, we're going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and Jesus teaching the disciples how to live as a citizens of the kingdom. And so we reach the point where Jesus taught them how to pray. And he said that believers are to pray different. He's not telling us to pray. Everybody prays. He's telling us believers in Jesus pray differently than everybody else. Now, in biblical days, everybody prayed. Jews prayed, religious leaders prayed, Gentiles prayed, lost people prayed, everybody prayed. In our day, everybody prays. Most of Americans pray. Latest research, 85% of Americans say so they pray. The other 15%, you put them in a life or death situation, they're praying. Everybody prays. He's not telling us to pray. He tells us how to pray. Because believers in Jesus pray differently. Read with me starting in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, so far in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has addressed, to this point, how to enter the kingdom through the Beatitudes, our influence as salt and light, our motives, why you do things, our anger, some of us have anger issues, and Jesus has addressed that, our lust for other people. He has addressed divorce and oath-taking. He has addressed revenge and getting back at someone. 
He has addressed loving your enemies, and he has addressed doing your good deeds in private to help someone. Now he discusses the topic of prayer. And he says some interesting things. I want you to notice through here. Now, the late Haddon Robinson outlined the model prayer by looking at it this way. First of all, the first part, verses 9 and 10, pray to the Father about the Father. Talk to God about Him. And the second part, verses 11 through 13, pray to God about yourself and others. That's a pretty good outline. You talk to God about God, talk to God about you and other people. That's pretty good, but we're going to look at a different outline for our discussion today because we're looking at what Jesus said before the model prayer and after the model prayer. So let's look at it together. So for our discussion today, we're going to look as, at prayer as privacy, verses 5 through 8, and prayer as precision, verses 9 through 13. So first of all, let's look at verses 5 through 8, prayer as privacy. Privacy. Notice what Jesus said, Jesus said in verse 5. And when you pray, notice he did not say, and if you pray. He's assuming you're going to pray. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, he could have said religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, but he called them hypocrites. I'm sure that went over really well that day, don't you? And don't be like those hypocrites out there that love to stand and pray in the synagogues in the street corners so everybody can look at them. And whenever they do, they have their reward because God gives them no reward. Now, back in biblical days, if you were a godly person, you did three things. You fasted, you prayed, and you help the poor. It's called giving alms. You help poor people. So every godly or righteous person, the religious leaders, they did three things. They fasted, they prayed, and they gave alms. But the religious leaders wanted to do it so everybody could see them. They wanted the recognition for being godly. So right there in the synagogue service, they would be having the synagogue service, reading the, the passage or whatever, and one of them would stand up and very loudly start praying these beautiful prayers and talking about how much money they gave and how they fasted. Can you imagine that happening in a service? And when the service was over, they went outside to the street corner so everybody could see them. Loud, long prayers, beautiful words right on the street corner so everybody could see them. They did it at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 p.m., three times a day. And everybody would walk by and go, oh, wow, they're really godly people. And Jesus said, when you pray that, when you pray don't do that. You see, they focused on the place of prayer and the words. And Jesus said, Christians, when you pray, you focus on the person. Not the place, not the words. The person of Christ. And he said, when you pray, go into your room. 
The word there could mean bedroom, it could mean closet, it could mean storeroom, storage room. It was a word used in the Septuagint from Isaiah 26.20, translated chamber. Any private place, that's where you need to go, where nobody can see you. And your Father, who meets you in secret, will reward you. He'll listen to you. You see, it was an insult to God for the religious leaders to use Him as a way to impress people. But they were. And Jesus said, verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, thinking that the more words you use, you're going to be heard. Now, what's interesting there is the word empty phrases is translated, some of your translations say vain repetitions. Uh, it's only used one time in all the Bible, that phrase is, and it's a compound word, batologio, bato words. Who's bato? Well, good question. A couple of theories. There was one king of Cyrene who was named Batus, B-A-T-T-U-S, and he had a stuttering problem. He tried to talk, he stuttered. And so there is one theory that the word babbling came from him trying to talk, from Batus trying to talk. Stuttering. And it came out, blah, 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 blah. So Jesus said, imagine you praying and you just thinking that the more words you say, God's going to hear. And so you just talk to the Almighty and go, blah, 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 blah. It's worthless. Another theory is Battus, and by the same name, B-A-T-T-U-S, was also a poet in those days who wrote long, flowery, beautiful poems. So the phrase, batologio, could have come from the poet, Batus. It's only used once. And so Jesus was saying, God doesn't hear you just because you use more words. You go, oh, I, I know that. Well, do you? Because sometimes we think God hears us greater if we pray longer. Let's say, for example, you get cancer, or one of your loved ones is ill, or you really want a job. You really, really, really want that job. And whenever you pray about needs like that, you pray a little extra harder, a little more fervently, and you go longer and go longer and say the same things over and over and over, thinking, I really want God to do this, so if I, if I use more words and go longer, He'll hear me. We do the same thing. He does, and He hears you the first time. A couple of times I can think of in the Bible where people thought if you prayed longer, God would listen. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 18, do you remember the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and Elijah? And they're, they're cutting up their sacrifice and both going to pray to their God. Elijah's going to pray to Yahweh and they're going to pray to the Baal gods. 
and whoever listens and strikes the, the sacrifice with fire is the real God. And if you remember, they started at 8 a.m. and Baal's prophets went first and they prayed and prayed and shouted and got louder and louder and louder. And they started dancing and they started all this commotion and they prayed from 8 a.m. to sundown. No response from Baal. And then I think of Acts chapter 19 where... Paul was there in Ephesus, and, and they were worshiping the, the Greek goddess Artemis, and they prayed two straight hours for Artemis to hear them. That concept has been around a long time. The longer you pray, the more God listens. False. It's not true. Jesus said, verse 8, don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you even ask. Now, the word that's used for knows there, he knows what you need. You'll see on the screen here, there, there are two Greek words, primary Greek words. There are others, but primary Greek words for, for the word know, to know something. One is gnosko. You'll see it there. It means to know it by experience. Most of the time in the New Testament, it's gnosko that's used almost all the time. You know something by experience. But there's also a second word, ido, means to know through perception. This is the word that's used in verse 8, where, God's, where Jesus says, God knows what you need before you pray it. God knows by perception. He doesn't need to experience. It's not like God goes, oh my goodness, I'm glad you told me. I didn't know that. Prayer is not to inform God. He knows. Prayer is a connection point to the one you have a relationship with. That can work in all circumstances. He already knows your needs. You don't have to pray all afternoon. He knows the perception. So now let's go to verses 9 through 13, prayer as precise. And it's the model prayer. Jesus told his followers on the seashore that day, Pray like this. You're to pray differently than lost people. Christians, you pray like this. Now, he, what follows, it's what's called the Lord's Prayer. Actually, it's better called the model prayer because Jesus didn't pray this prayer. So how do you know Jesus didn't pray it? Because it says, forgive us of our sins. He didn't need forgiveness of sins. He taught us to pray this. His prayer is John 17. That's the high priesthood. That's the Lord's Prayer. This is called the model prayer. You and I are to model our prayers after this. First thing that stands out to me about this prayer is how short it is. You notice that? It's brief. Jesus teaching us to pray, it's brief. 62 words, that's all. No long, flowery words, no ostentatious prayer. No repetition over and over and over, saying the same things over and over and over. Nothing repeats. It's short. It's to the point. He says, pray like that. So he begins. Here's how you're to start. Our Father. Okay, he's already gotten radical on us. It's revolutionary. Jews did not address God as Father. 
I'm sure there were gasps on the hillside whenever Jesus said, you pray like this, our Father. <gasps> Are we supposed to call God Father? Jews didn't do that. Father, that's a little too intimate. That's a little too chummy. That's a little too um, bold. You don't call God Father. God as Father is only mentioned 15 times in the Old Testament. Every one of them are in a corporate sense. God the Father of Israel. No individual called Him Father. Never. Jesus says, begin your prayer with the close, intimate word, Father. That's radical. Revolutionary. And then what follows from our Father, three requests concerning God and three requests concerning you. So whenever you pray, your prayers are to begin with God, not you. Notice we're to pray about His interests first. We don't do that. We, we say, oh, 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 Father, and then we start right in with what we need, with what our problems are, what we're worried about, how you can take care of us, and it's all about us. But there's three requests you make before you even get to your own needs. Let's look at them. All three requests have something to do with the kingdom. His kingdom. Number one, our Father, are in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? It's the word hagios. It means to set aside something as separate or holy, different. Our Father who art in heaven, your name is holy. Your name is set apart. May we reverence your name and your reputation. That's the first prayer. Our Father, may we reverence the name God. But you know what we do? We take that name in vain. Oh, God. Oh, my God. You hear that constantly from Christians. That is blaspheming His name. Hold the name reverent set it apart our father hallowed be your name second request your kingdom come not my kingdom your kingdom come I surrender me your kingdom. Do you pray like that? There is a close connection throughout the Old Testament between God's name and God's kingdom. 
you see it, uh, Exodus, I mean, Ezekiel uh, 36, 23. You see it, Isaiah 29, 23. A close connection among God's people of the name of God and the kingdom of God. And in the New Testament, Jesus continues that. His name, his kingdom, his name, his kingdom. That close connection between the two. So as I pray, I am to say, Lord, hallowed be your name. It's about your kingdom, not mine. Third request. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and oh dear God, may what's going on in heaven go on What's going on in heaven right now? Revelation tells us um, God is the center. It's all about Him. Jesus alone is being worshiped as God. Uh, humans who are there are bowing down before Him because it's not about humans, it's about Him. That doesn't look like earth, does it? You see, in earth, humans are center. And we want God to bow down to us. And he's pushed aside. So the prayer is, God, may earth look like heaven looks. May you be the center. Jesus be worshipped. Not all these other faiths, not Muhammad and Buddha and all that. Jesus be worshipped. And may humanity be subject to you. So those are three requests about God before you even start talking about you. So now we get to talk about us. Three requests for us. Number one, give us this day our daily bread. Bread was significant in the Bible all the way back in Genesis, all the way through Revelation. Bread is a common theme throughout Scripture because God taught his people a lot through bread. Jesus taught the disciples a lot through bread. Now, bread represents not just food, but it represents any of the necessities of life, not the luxuries. Everything you need to live, you need breath to live, you need food to live, you need water to live. God, give me today those things I need to live. Now, they said daily because back in biblical days, everybody got paid daily. We don't do that. We get paid weekly. Some of you get paid every other week. Uh, some of you get paid maybe once a month. But it's not daily, usually. In those days, you worked you got your wages, you went and bought bread, you bought food, you ate. The next day you worked, you got your wages, you went and bought food, you ate. And every single day you had to rely upon God to take care of you. That's not really our culture, but it was theirs. But God taught his people, you are to trust me daily for what you need. The manna in the wilderness. You remember that? The Israelites in the wilderness and God said, I'll provide manna for you. Don't try to store it up. You get only enough for that day. If you try to get more, it's going to stink. And some of those 
entrepreneurial Jews went out and tried to gather more. And it stank on them. Throw it out. God's trying to tell us. You trust me every single day for what you need. And see if I don't provide for you. First request. Here's the second request. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, Jews saw sin as a debt. Now, we say the word debt, we think of somebody owing money. Debt to them was a sin. So, forgive us our debts or our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Now, I want you to notice something very important. Some of you may have noticed it, some of you may not. As I read that, did anybody notice the tenses? Father, forgive me as I have also forgiven those who owe me. Not that I will forgive. I already have. So God, since I've already forgiven, would you forgive me? Here's how we usually pray. And I'm guilty of this. caught myself praying this the other day. God, forgive me of my sins and help me to forgive others. Help me forgive others. No, no, that's not what he said. He didn't say, I'll forgive you first, then you work on forgiving other people. He said, you forgive them, then you come to me and ask me to forgive you. That's opposite of what we do. Oh, God, forgive me my sins. I'm so sorry, but help me to forgive those others. No, forgive them first. Forgiving plays a large part in prayer. Then the third request. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven those. And number three, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. It kind of makes us scratch our heads. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Does God do that? Does he lead you to be tempted? No. James makes it very clear. Whenever you're tempted, let no man say, I'm tempted of God. So what's he talking about? The word tempted there literally means testing or trials. Deliver means to rescue and pull somebody to your side. And evil means the evil one, the devil. You say, well, how do you know evil is interpreted the evil one? Because in the syntax, if the word deliver is followed by the preposition apo, it's talking about a person. If the word deliver is followed by a Greek preposition ek, ek, it means a thing. In this translation, and as we look at it, it's delivered followed by apo, which means a person. God deliver me from the evil one, which was the most common name Jesus called the devil. He didn't call him devil or Satan. He called him the evil one the most number of times. 
So it could be translated, God, if you allow the evil one to tempt me, rescue me, pull me to your side, and deliver me from the evil one. Minimize the accusations, or the, the, uh, minimize the occasions of my temptation. Now the Lord's prayer concludes. That's all of it. 62 words, very brief. But Jesus does one more thing. The prayer is now further explained in verses 14 and 15. Jesus took one part of the prayer and talked further about it. Now, I would think that if Jesus looked at this prayer, pulled out one aspect of it, and and expounded on it, it's going to be really important. So here it is. Are you ready? Here's what he pulled out and expounded upon. Was it our Father being in heaven? No. Was it hallowed be your name? No. Was it your kingdom come? No. Was it your will be done? No. Was it give us this daily bread? No. Was it lead us not to temptation? No. It was forgiveness. He pulled out forgiveness and talked a little more about it. Why? Because we're so bad at it. If, by the way, you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you. The last church I pastored before here, one Sunday morning I preached on that passage. A lady came up afterwards and she said, Pastor, what did, what did Jesus mean there? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I know whenever he said, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. What did he mean? I said, well, he meant if you don't forgive others, he won't forgive you. He says, well, I know what he said, but what did he mean? There's got to be a deeper meaning. Well, he meant... If you don't forgive others, he won't forgive you. Well, I know that. I know. I know. But what did he mean? And we went around for a while, and finally she said, You know, my, my sister and I don't get along. and never, we, It's been years since we've even spoken. I'm trying to forgive her, but I just can't. You mean to tell me that God is not going to forgive my sins until I forgive her? I said, No, I didn't say that. He, Jesus said that. I have a problem with that. I don't know what to tell you. Of all the topics he could have expounded on, God's forgiveness is reserved for those people who forgive others first. Let me say that again. God's forgiveness is reserved for those people who forgive others first. So there you have it, a short prayer, a few words, choose your words carefully. In fact, it's kind of surprising how short the prayer is. You kind of want to ask, God, is that enough? I mean, it's only, can I pray more than this? It just doesn't seem like enough. But it is enough to make the connection point between your Father and you. How blessed we are to communicate with our Father, and how blessed we are to hear His voice.
In 2010, there was a little boy by the name of Grayson Clamp who was born in South Carolina. He was born with a rare genetic condition known as CHARGE syndrome. Had a heart defect, had to have open heart surgery soon after he was born. He survived the open heart surgery. Had a heart defect, couldn't hear out of either ear. He's blind in his left eye. Part of, that's part of CHARGE syndrome. And so they took him to Dr. Craig Buchman at the University of North Carolina Medical Center. Dr. Buchman said, we feel like that he can have cochlear implants. He'll be able to hear a little, and you can, you can and your wife, Lynn and Nicole, they, they could f- learn what's called cued speech, which is a form of sign language, and communicate with him. feel like you'll be able to communicate with your son. So they were, they were pleased with that. They did the cochlear implants, and they failed. He could hear nothing. And so they're very discouraged. And so Dr. Beekman said there's one other option. It's kind of a long shot. It's never been done in the U.S. This was in 2000, just after 2010. It's called ABI, which stands for Auditory Brainstem Implant. We implant in the brainstem the auditory portion of, of, of his functioning. It might work. We don't know. It's a long shot. They agreed. They performed it. And Grayson was the very first person to receive an auditory brainstem implant. They went back to the doctor's office to see if it had worked. He's playing in the chair with a toy. And his daddy, Lynn, says... Grayson, it's daddy. And he stops, looks up, eyes widen, mouth flies open, stunned look on his face, and he points. He heard his father's voice the first time. Nurses were taking pictures of this, and those pictures have become legendary at the University of North Carolina Medical Center. Here's one of them. And folks, my prayer for you is that you will never lose the wide-eyed wonder every time you hear your father's voice. Prayer is a privilege. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you today for your word and thank you for what you teach us. And sometimes, Lord, we, we look at this prayer and we kind of scratch our heads. But I'm thankful that you told us how to hear from you. And oh, dear God, may we never lose the wonder of being able to hear your voice. God, it is my prayer today for those of you in our congregation or maybe online who don't know you. They've never had a personal relationship with you by inviting you into their hearts. And I pray today would be that day. Lord, help us to forgive others. Help us to pray as you taught us to pray. In Jesus' name.